Well, it's great to be with you. Um, one. And uh, when I knew I was coming on the Sunday, the offering was going to be announced. It was uh, a real delight to come and celebrate with you and just to, to praise God for an amazing offering and to just be so grateful that you really are going to make a difference in this city. It's tremendous to kind of come and look in from the outside and just cheer you on and be encouraged myself. And when I was on the team, I think most of the offerings we did for the building were about 80K, 100 and 120. And so seeing the size of this offering is really remarkable, to be honest, just to see the generosity um, amongst you. And also just as a little extra encouragement, um, just I was, it helped me think about just the, the goodness of God as we as kind of Grace Church have multiplied and we've gone to Birmingham, Manchester and Newcastle that at the same time you're doing this offering, Duncan and his team were able to do their own offering and they're now able to employ their first kind of staff member as a church. Um, and we were doing um, kind of monthly giving stuff and I think had about 21 new people who are going to give regularly to the church in Birmingham. That if we'd all stayed here, we'd be able to do one offering. But the fact that God has sent some out, it just means he's multiplying all that he's doing that his goodness gets to go on and on. So basically, I'm here to celebrate with you, but also thought it's just, I find it encouraging just to think God is so good and that he just keeps, keeps sending us out. So praise God for his goodness. JP asked if I'd come and speak in the Matthew series. So if you have a Bible, um, I'm going to be speaking from Matthew 9 and verse 35. Uh, the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few. Will Monaghan has already abused me this morning by suggesting this is a, a very well-preached passage. Um, and yeah, I still believe there are fresh insights that we're going to get this morning, um, that God is good and that he wants to encourage us. I actually love Will. I, I don't know why I'm calling him out, but, um, but it was true. I was abused. So I want to I say that publicly. Um, but just, I think really this message is for anyone who's maybe feeling a little discouraged in evangelism, that God, that God is good and that it's his harvest and it's really plentiful. And I think it's, when you read it, it's fairly obvious and easy to believe, but when you try and live it, it's maybe not always as obvious and easy. And so I'm hoping that God's going to give us fresh faith um, to believe his goodness and what he wants us to do. So I'm going to read from verse 35 in chapter 9. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The name of the 12 apostles are these. First Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. 
When I came to Nottingham, I came as a student, and um, I think I was reasonably zealous in trying to invite my friends to come to church and managed to get a few of them here at least once. And so we used to do different evangelistic events and Terry Virgo came to speak and I knew that he was going to pray for the sick and one of my friends had a cast, so we brought him and five other friends and they all came once. But my friend didn't get healed and they only came once and they never came back. So I was zealous, but I wasn't the most effective. And I was, I was kind of, I really want you to come. And then we had a different event and I went up and down my street and put flyers through people's doors and invited them. And again, had, had a few people come and I kind of graduated and um, ended up working as an accountant for a few years. And again, tried to invite friends. I think one of my colleagues came and did Alpha and um, another came to the evening meeting and really enjoyed it, but never came back. And my, I guess my summary of my evangelistic endeavors would be, Steve tried very hard, uh, invited a lot of people. Um, flyering was my go-to. I was good at flyer. I did like to, you know, put something through letterboxes or give it in person. And I, probably over about five, six, seven years, or so maybe one or two become Christians. Uh, but it was hard graft. It was, it was kind of, I believed that Jesus was really, really good. And I really wanted to share him with others, but it was a mixed bag as to whether my friends thought that Jesus was really good and and wanted to come again. And I think basically I share it because you read a verse um, like the one, verse 37, that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And just think, is that really true? But is the harvest really plentiful? And the problem is the laborers are not there. My experience was more like it's the other way around. There's lots of laborers, but there's not much harvest. And so we're scrapping over a few people who might be interested to come. And I, I basically feel like God's taking me and is still taking me on a journey of believing that God is as good as he says he is and believing that his promises are really true and really good and that he, he really comes through for us. And I think I was helped when I moved to Birmingham to plant King's Church because you think with that track record as an evangelist, I maybe wasn't the most obvious person to send to go and tell people about Jesus. And honestly, if you'd asked me at the time, do you have faith that God is in this, that he's going to save people? I would have said yes, but I don't know how deep that faith really went. It was hard just to believe that God was going to save people in a new city, that uh, he wanted to add people who weren't Christians to a new church. And so when we moved, I and a friend, we used to go out um, on a Monday knocking on people's doors, basically inviting them to come to church. And our kind of little strap line was, if you've never been to church before, or if you used to go but you haven't been, we basically started a new church for you. Do you want to come? And we used to meet about midday and we have lunch and we try and invite people. And as you might expect from a stranger, going around his neighborhood, knocking on doors and saying, oh, I've started a new church in my home and you can come at 12 on a Sunday and have lasagna and meet some people. Most people said no. Most people, I don't know what your expectations would be in that kind of scenario, just like, no thanks, and like shut the door. But on a surprisingly frequent occurrence, there were people who basically said, I've been waiting for you. And so just to share a couple of stories, um, we met one guy who had been to a Billy Graham 
crusade in Aston Villa's uh, football stadium back in the 80s and hadn't been to church since. And we, no we knocked on his door and he was like, oh, I've been thinking about going to church. Oh, I'd love to come. And so we invited him and he's still part of our church to this day, a guy called Stuart. And uh, we had a lot of fun getting to know him. And um, he, he was really keen to get baptized. And then his son, who was 18, neither of them had been to church think, their whole lives. His son had gone to university and become a Christian, was getting baptized in Liverpool. Stuart went to visit him. He was supposed to be getting baptized with us about, in about three weeks' time. And the preacher there, when they did baptism, said, would anyone else here like to get baptized? <laughs> and Stuart just went for it. He had no spare clothes, no, no towel, nothing. He just literally went and got baptized and came back absolutely buzzing, telling me a story of how he walked sopping wet back from church to his son's house to get some, some spare clothes. So from a kingdom perspective, we were delighted. From a king's church perspective, I was like, you've got to pray for your like, first baptisms because people kept dropping out left, right, and center, even for the best reasons. But Stuart, who hadn't been to church for about 30 years, has now been going pretty much every week because we moved to Birmingham and said, Jesus loves you. We'd love to introduce you to him again. There's another lady called Natasha, who we got to know. And um, she also, she'd kind of been brought up in church, hadn't gone for many years. And she'd been saying, I really want to go to church. And one evening had prayed, like, God, please help me. Um, I want to go to church. I don't, almost like I don't know how, I don't know where to go. And she had a dream that um, kind of two angels appeared in her dream and took her to church. And she went along. Well, the next day, Dan Brodier, who's part of our core team, and me <laughs> knocked on her door. And she was like, two angels have... <laughs> have come. And I share this story because basically Dan and I are two angels and we, we knocked on her door. And, um, but Jen, but it, kind of I joke about it, but Jenny, she was absolutely delighted. She was like, I've been praying for this. I've been waiting. I just, I didn't know where to go. I was a bit nervous. I wasn't, you know, I didn't just want to turn up on my own. I'd love to come. Um, and so, Julia, my wife, and I had the real privilege. We got to know her over a number of months, and we prayed for her to get filled with the Holy Spirit. Just one night, she, there's a whole load of stuff going on in her life, and she just needed joy and a touch from God. And she was literally bouncing around our front room, filled with the Holy Spirit, just being like, I've never encountered anything like this. And just to complete the kind of struggle with baptism stories, she also was supposed to be getting baptized the same Sunday that Stuart um, was supposed to be getting baptized. And three weeks before the baptisms, she announced that she was leaving King's Church to go to another church that met in the afternoon because we met in the morning. She had seven kids and getting them to church for 10.30. She didn't have a car and all these kind of things. It was a bit, a bit tricky, so she was like, I've met Jesus now. It's amazing. So I'm going to go to the afternoon church, you know, down the road. And so again, from a kingdom perspective, we're like, praise Jesus. From a king's church perspective, like, why can't we baptize anybody? <laughs> but, it, but bearing in mind, two, two stories, oh, pretty good in Birmingham, everyone's becoming Christians. Most people 
shut the door. They're not interested. They did not want to come for lasagna at 12 o'clock in our house. But these two and maybe a few others were genuinely like, I've been waiting for you. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And I still don't think I believe this verse fully. I think I'm still on a journey of like, God, I want to know that this is true. But my experience increasingly has been, no, there are people who are just waiting for someone to come and tell them about Jesus and invite them to church. And I just basically wanted to encourage any discouraged evangelists um, and myself while I'm doing it, that the harvest is plentiful, that there are people in Nottingham who are waiting to be invited to come to church. And yeah, it takes courage and it takes all sorts, but we, we have the privilege of introducing people to Jesus. And so I think this morning, I'm hoping that we just catch God's heart afresh and that we feel empowered to go again or to take the flyers that are on our seats and invite someone for Easter or Alpha or whatever it is that's coming up next. And I guess I don't want you just to think it's true because of some stories. Um, I hope that they are encouraging and you think, yeah, like God is really good. But also because of who Jesus is, we should believe that this verse is true. And so just if I skip back one to verse 36, it says, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Uh, not the most encouraging description of us as people, harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd, but the description of Jesus is, is beautiful, that he has compassion on the crowds. He has compassion on people, that he sees people and his heart breaks, that he loves people, that he cares about people. He cares about you. He cares about me, that he, he, he loves to heal and help and assist and make whole and make new and redeem and release guilt and shame and brokenness. It's what Jesus loves to do. And so kind of where the passage starts, Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every disease and every affliction. And then in chapter 10, when he sends out the disciples, he gives them power and authority to uh, over unclean spirits, every disease. Jesus loves people. He loves making them new. He loves making us whole and well and who we're supposed to be. And the actual, I think, the, the Greek word for compassion, and I'm definitely going to mispronounce it, but I'm going to give it a go, is splagnitsomai. And if you actually know Greek, you can come and correct me at the end for probably a dreadful pronunciation. Splagnitsomai, which isn't just, oh, it's nice that Jesus has some compassion for us. But it, 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 rather, it's the sense of a kind of a deep, emotive, gut-churning, visceral reaction that when Jesus sees hurting people, his compassion comes out. It, it isn't just light and fluffy. This is Jesus' heart breaking for people. That when he sees us hurting, he hurts. That he loves the sheep. He loves people. And kind of there's delusions here, but he's basically presenting himself as the God of the Old Testament 
who loved the lost sheep. Like in Ezekiel chapter 34, Yahweh, he rebukes the shepherds of Israel who have abused the sheep and who have taken and stolen and, and crushed the sheep and says, no, look, I will be your shepherd. I will lead you to pastures green. I will lead you to safety and wholeness and well-being. And, and Jesus is basically saying, God is here and God loves people and God's compassion is real and it, is, and it moves. And it isn't just a sentiment, it moves to action. That God loves to come and help. And again, before we move on, I just I want to pause because I think we have to really believe this is true if we're going to be those that go and try and take the good news to others, that Jesus has compassion for you. Jesus has compassion for me. Jesus has compassion for this city. Jesus has compassion for our neighbors and our colleagues and the hurting and the broken. And I think it matters because sometimes you can think, well, I should do evangelism or you know, there's sinners who are perishing and then God hates them. So I guess we better go and warn them. I'm not saying that is wholly wrong, but I think the motivation here is no, God loves people. He wants them to come home. He wants them to be rescued. He wants them to come to know him. He has compassion and therefore he says what he's about to say. And again, we found that with, with Stuart when we were discipling him. Most of discipleship involved helping him get food. He needs to go to the food bank pretty regularly in the early days. So I used to drive him, sit outside the cult for 45 minutes and wait. He'd come back out. They're like, this is what it looks like to plant a church. Natasha, we had some brilliant team members who took her kids out on day trips um, bought clothes, uh, took to hospital and doctor's appointments, you know, all sorts. You kind of feel like you're part-time social worker, part-time church worker. Why? Because Jesus cares about whole people. That they needed truth, they needed love, but they needed practical support and financial help and you know the whole package. That when we read Jesus went through their cities healing, every disease, every affliction. Obviously, that's very specifically physical impact, people who are sick being made well. But it also includes, for us, putting in a commercial kitchen in the back so we can help love people who come in. Jesus wants to help us in every way. Just while I'm talking about healing, we had an amazing story uh, a month ago. We had a lady come and join us who had back pain. She hadn't been to church for years and years, and she got healed of some form of arthritis in her lower back. And the reason I loved this story was because she was so skeptical, because she hadn't been such for ages, and she was like, I, I feel totally better, but I'm, def I'm going to go home, I'm going I'm to see what happens, um, you know, basically I'm not sure about this. And I had a number, so I WhatsApped her and she said, no, I'm still feeling better. And I saw her again on the next Sunday and she was like, no, I'm feeling better. And she was so struck, she came to us and said, I have to testify to this. Like, I need, I need to say something at the front of the church, please. And so then the following week we got her up that she was like, my back is totally healed. And... She hadn't been, again, hadn't been to church for years. And so we were like, do you know, do you know Jesus? Like, do you, do you have a relationship with God? And she, she said, ah, oh, I've known God, but never like this. And her life has changed. 
and it's early days and I don't know quite what's going to happen for her, but God broke in with compassion and healed her, just like he did here in Matthew 9. And we obviously have to be careful because we pray for healing and not everybody gets healed. And so we're wrestling with like, does that mean God doesn't have compassion for some people and he does have compassion for others? And we try and say, no, that isn't the case because God's compassion comes in many shapes and sizes. And for some, his compassion and his power is bringing joy when he doesn't answer the prayers in the way that we expect. And sometimes his compassion and joy is seen and he does. He heals a lady who has arthritis in her lower back. But we had next week, Chris Key, who's also part of our team, he got up and testified to unanswered prayer and said, I always come forward for pain in my back and I haven't yet been healed. But his testimony basically was, I just know that God is with me. Every time we pray, I feel like he's there. And I, I don't know why I haven't been healed yet. I don't know how long I have to wait and whether it'll be in glory when I see him. But I know that God is good. God's compassion comes in many shapes and different sizes, but it always comes. He loves to heal. He loves, he loves to come and help us. Verse 37 then, and verse 38, Jesus changes the metaphor slightly. So he says to the disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. In God's sovereignty... This is how he loves to work. He asks us to pray and then he will send workers out into his harvest field. I, I, I find that slightly strange, slightly confusing. I would have thought that verse would go, the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few, therefore get on with it. <laughs> would, <laughs> would be how I would have finished uh, that particular lesson. But Jesus doesn't. He says the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few, therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest field. It's, it's God's mission. It's not just us to say, well, right, come on then, we better go and do some evangelism then, we better get on with it. No, we're, we're called to pray because God is the one who, who produces a harvest and ultimately will reap it. He's in charge. And we see that in Acts chapter 1, before the apostles and the 120 are to go, they, they're told to wait and pray. And then the Spirit comes. And only when they've received power do they actually then go and do anything. That was our story in Birmingham. We did 40 days of prayer and fasting before God spoke to us about going. We pray, and then God sends people out into the harvest fields. And also, if it's God's harvest and the harvest is already ready, it means that we get to stay very, very humble when we go out into the harvest field because he is the one producing all the fruit or producing all the wheat and grain that needs to be harvested. As you might have picked up from my stories, we didn't really do most of the sowing when it came to Stuart and Natasha. Billy Graham, to be, he'd started it with Stuart, so it's not a bad... Billy Graham and I were teaming it with, um, <laughs> with Stuart, getting him in. N Natasha's mum, presumably years and years of sewing into her life, we just rocked up and knocked on a few doors and said, oh, do you want to come to church? The harvest was plentiful, not because of anything we'd done. We, we just had the privilege of getting to invite them and seeing them either for the first time or recommit their lives to Jesus. And I think it really helps me 
kind of transform my thinking for my failed attempts when I was trying to invite all my mates at uni or at work, that I might not have got to do the harvest bit, but I was sowing seed into God's kingdom and it's never wasted. Even if they don't come or they don't get saved or they don't come back again, you just never know what God is going to do with our faithfulness and with our willingness to obey him and say, okay, God, I'm going to put you first. I'm going to go for this. And, uh, and again, someone else on our team, Jen Key, had, I think, one of the most precious testimonies recently of a friend of hers who I think she'd been at university with some like 10, 15 years later, phoned her up to say, I've become a Christian. Like all those times you used to, to she, you know, the friend wasn't, wasn't a Christian when she knew her and didn't go to church and kind of 10, 15 years later says, oh yeah, now I am. And I'm sure there's a temptation to be like, how annoying, right? <laughs> I am so faithful and you know, I kept inviting. I didn't seem to care at all when I was the one you know, who, who now has had a chance to speak to them and now they think it's a good idea today. Oh, well, it's a temptation to, to feel annoyed about it. But I actually think it's beautiful that we get to sow into God's kingdom. We don't always get to know the results, but that God is good and he cares and he's compassionate. And he's always working. And we might forget. We might forget to pray or give up or quit or who knows what we get up to, but God never does. He's always at work calling people to himself. And then finally... So if we are, we're supposed to pray that workers will be sent, Jesus doesn't just tell us to do it. He, he prays and he calls to himself the 12 disciples and he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. And I think he calls 12. Um, it's symbolic for the 12 tribes of Israel. In the first century, there's probably only two and a half tribes left or at least kind of recognized with their heritage and histories and all that kind of thing. And Jesus is saying, this is going to be a new Israel, a new people, a new creation, and everybody's going to get involved. All 12 tribes are going to play their part. In other places in the Gospels, Jesus calls and sends out the 72, which is also an allusion to um, Genesis 10, the table of nations, where uh, the, the, the whole world um, is supposed to be living for the glory of God. And Jesus is remaking the world. He's remaking a people. And so I'm going to send out 72. I'm going to send out the nations of the world. Everybody has a part to play, is basically what Jesus is saying. The 12, all of Israel, 72, every, people from every nation, everyone is going to get in on this, symbolically, is what Jesus is, is trying to tell us. And then when you read the list of names, there's a few little interesting tidbits amongst the 12 that get thrown in. Um, we're reminded that Matthew was a tax collector and that Simon was a zealot, for example. Matthew the tax collector, basically Matthew the sinner, you could also read. Matthew who collaborated with the Romans. Matthew who had given up on his people and had gone off to make a bit of money has been redeemed by Jesus. That we're reminded that we're all sinners saved by grace when you read Matthew's name in a list like that. And then Simon the Zealot is a freedom fighter. You know, someone who has said, I'm going to tear down the Roman uh, establishment. A terrorist, potentially. 
a tax collector and a freedom fighter, poles apart, absolute poles apart, united in Jesus. Which again, I think is just another way of saying all of us are necessary in this endeavor. This isn't just for like one or two chosen people who are going to do the work. Jesus said that everyone has a part to play. Everyone has an opportunity to catch God's heart. Say, I want to tell the world all about him. And as I finish, I just want to be really clear, I think, that this message for me has not been, right, I'm being invited. This is a privilege. Very, very happy to be invited to come and speak. I'll try and chivy everyone in Grace Church into doing some evangelism by telling a few stories. And also, whenever you talk about evangelism, there's always a low level of guilt because everyone thinks, well, I'm probably not doing enough evangelism, if I'm honest. And, you know, Steve, he's a real hero, isn't he? He's out there in Birmingham and he's, you know, him and Billy, him and Billy Graham are just <laughs> a couple of legends who are trying to trying to tell people about Jesus. And um, it's like, no, no, we absolutely cannot be motivated by guilt or by just trying to get a few stories. Or, you know, firstly, I hope you hear from me, it, that two stories, 95% of it is just rejection, going around knocking on doors. No, who, who is this idiot trying to invite people to church? It's not glamorous. I absolutely can assure you it's not glamorous. So why on earth would you do it? I think we have to be captivated by Jesus has compassion for the world. That Jesus is the most beautiful man who has ever lived. And I think this morning, basically the thing I was praying for is we need a fresh encounter with Jesus to receive his compassion against him. Jesus, I need you. I need to be reminded of how good you are. I need to be reminded of how much you love the world, of how much you love me, of how much you care for people and you're for people. I, I, need, I need to wash over me again. And how I'd like us to finish is all of us just basically asking God, saying, God, come and meet me again. I don't want to do this out of guilt. I don't want to do it just because Steve got up and said we should or... Because, you know, we want more people to come. Or I want to do it because I'm captivated by Jesus Christ. And so perhaps if Chris and the, the band could come, I'd love us to, to worship and, and fix our eyes on Jesus. That we would, we would receive his compassion and then perhaps myself or Ben will come, come and pray for any discouraged evangelists. That we would have fresh faith that God is really good and he has people in this city he has a harvest field ready, ready for us to come and, and get involved. So that sound right? Let's stand and uh, let's worship.